For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. The state is canceling its contract with Swadley's Barbecue. The tourism department is making the move after news of suspected fraudulent activity and questionable business practices over the deal for the restaurants to, to run Foggy Bottom Kitchens at six state parks. Neva, are you surprised the agency just canceled the contract? Well, it is interesting, the sequence of events. I mean, it's been uh, three weeks since it became known that the OSBI had opened an inquiry about this deal between Swadley's and the Department of Tourism and Recreation. And we've seen this kind of piling on. I mean, first of all, we have uh, Tourism who cancels the contract, Swadley's who comes back with a response through a um, through a public relations firm basically saying, why, why was this unilaterally terminated? Why didn't we have any chance to really have a conversation about this? Mm -hmm. Then you have the kind of the continued piling on. You have the attorney general weighing in, uh, basically saying that uh, he stands ready to assist the, uh, the DA, the OSBI, the state auditor who has an investigation and audit going on. And you have the kind of the continued revelations of this whistleblower that kind of uh, spawn all of this activity several months ago uh, in you know, and then I think we see, you know, we see these other players begin to to weigh in. You, we finally see the uh, lieutenant governor uh, weighing in again, kind of a, a same, singing the same song of let's have transparency. Let's all get to, get to the bottom of this. But now as it becomes more and more, um, we see more and more information coming out, there are more and more questions. And so I think it's going to be fascinating. And I think we're going to be talking about this story, which is really bordering on a scandal by uh, any any definition of it uh, in terms of state government and a contract and all of the other questions that are now swirling around it. So um, it'll, it'll be fascinating to see what else unfolds. Ryan. Well, and, and it, it has become a Pandora's box because, as Neva said, we're bordering on scandal right now. If we can't already use the word scandal already, uh, it's just a matter of, of where the uh, the blame ultimately will lie uh, with, with all of these allegations because there seems to be a lot there. And the, the more you dig, the, the more you pull on this ball of yarn, the more it comes undone. Mm. And, you know, I, I really uh, – and if you look at the way that even the, uh, the revocation of this contract took place, uh, they they pulled the rug right out. The state pulled the rug right out from underneath uh, the uh, Swadleys, which you know I, I think most people kind of at this point wanted them to do, uh, especially with these allegations and the investigations that were happening. But they did it in a way that has basically created this this gap where now the uh, Department of Tourism uh, is having to figure out how are they going to staff these things up. They have people that have reservations, uh, and they're going to have they've got groups that are coming in that are expecting to have. Uh, things catered. I mean, are those things going to get canceled? What's going to happen? I mean, the the entire uh, uh, way that this has been handled, I think, suggests the fact that, you know, Neva uh, uh, suggests the fact that more oversight uh, was needed throughout this entire process uh, of selecting who this vendor is going to be for the state, how they were going to operate, um, and and the number of eyeballs that are looking at it. You know, Neva mentioned that, that uh, you know, bombshell uh, story in the Oklahoman with the uh, with the whistleblower that's come forward and given you know, some, some pretty uh, devastating comments about what was expected uh, of the, the participants in this contract um, and what was allowed 
uh, to happen with the participants in this contract. But the other thing that you can look at is when the legislature through LOFT, which is the Legislative Office of Fiscal Transparency, which is something that the legislature set up right around the same time that the legislature gave a lot of authority to the executive branch and the governor's office. Uh, LOFT was set up by the legislature to provide some sort of continued oversight in the operation of state agencies. During that LOFT uh, meeting, uh, where the LOFT presented its report and its findings, um, you initially saw that the, uh, the tourism department, um, you know, you know uh, countering all of that. They, they, they rejected a lot of the findings. Uh, they disputed the conclusions that LOFT came to. And so the director is still there. The director's not resigned. Uh, you know, whether or not we tape next week and, the, and Director Winchester is still in charge of the tourism department right now seems to be an open question. Well, you know, it's interesting, too. I mean, you have to applaud these investigative reporters, I mean, uh, and folks that are that are writing these stories and really digging into the details. I mean, you have Dave Cathley at the Oklahoman, Reese Gorman at the Frontier, Trey Savage at Nondoc. Uh, uh, and then we had this bombshell that just happened uh, uh, this week, also midweek, with uh, uh, revelations that uh, were first, I think, uh, released by Fox 25 and Wayne Stafford that basically, I think, is, uh, you know, a bombshell in and of itself. I mean, you have a uh, the state fire marshal report that dates back to 2020, that basically you have this exchange in writing with this agent who advised them uh, in a kind of a surprise just to, inspection that there were code violations, safety issues that they found that were of great concern. And according to these reports uh, that they have in hand, basically, you have this uh, this uh, this account that says that Brent Swadley, the owner of the of the restaurant chain, basically contacting this agent saying this is bigger than you, and there there's more politics at play here than you could ever understand, and really uh, trying to uh, kind of muscle what would appear muscle the situation a little bit. There's a a, a lot of documentation that uh, uh, that has come out in this and comments. Uh, uh, since then, both on air and in, I think, other published reports. So again, what we are seeing, as oftentimes is the case with something this large, with this many players involved, and so many unanswered questions, we've still not heard from some of the principals in this, uh, in this episode in terms of what they want to say. And we have to assume that with a, with a, uh, with a district attorney, with the OSBI, with these folks uh, really bearing down, that there's, uh, there's going to be a, 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 lot of, uh, a lot of questions to be answered and a lot of time still in front of us to get those answers resolved. And you can bet based on the, the tenor of Swadley's response to the state's cancellation of the contract that Swadley's at this point, uh, you know, everybody is in, is in CYA mode. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you know, and, and, and Swadley's at this point, I've got to imagine that, that the general counsel within Swadley's or you know, whatever their, their legal representation looks like, they're going to be doing everything they can to cooperate with investigators to make sure that it's not any, any sort of uh, allegations or indictments don't fall on them, but fall on state officials. And you know, I think that you know, by pushing Swadley's out this quickly, uh, which again may, may very well have been the right policy move, uh, has, has immediately created a, a very hostile witness uh, to a lot of the, uh, the state actors uh, and their interest in this. So um, I don't know that we're at you know, circular firing squad situation just yet, but uh, over the next few months, there, there are gonna a lot, of, a lot of people that don't want this thing to land squarely on their desk. 
Governor Stitt signs a measure to remove non-binary gender designations on Oklahoma birth certificates. The bill was created after the health department amended documents to settle a lawsuit from an Oregon resident who was born in Oklahoma. Ryan, do you think this will renew the legal action? I mean, yeah, we'll definitely see legal action out of this. And, and it's, un, you know, it's so unfortunate. It's so unnecessary. Um, the, the, uh, the kind of the zeal that we see uh, among some elected officials to push legislation like this uh, is uh, regrettable to say the least. And we're, we're playing politics with uh, individuals that already find themselves in vulnerable, marginalized situations in the state of uh, Oklahoma and all for nothing. Uh, the, the designation, uh, a non-binary designation on, on a birth certificate doesn't, doesn't do a whole lot to most Oklahomans unless you need a non-binary designation. You know, whether that's because uh, you, you don't um, identify as, a, uh, as either particular gender or whether, you know, if you're born intersex. I mean, if, if you're, I, I wonder what's going to happen now if you've got uh, physicians out there that, you know, have somebody that, that's born uh, intersex and there, there is no designation. At that point, um, you know, we're we're talking about legislation that targets a, you know, when we talk about legislation that targets minority communities in Oklahoma, uh, the non-binary, the intersex community in Oklahoma that that really relies on uh, government documents to demonstrate who they are, it's a really small percentage of Oklahomans, and yet this this you know very uh, this the very spirit of this legislation is to just target them, go after them and try to score some political points. If, if lawmakers really think that there's a problem, uh, then you know, maybe we should be questioning whether or not birth certificates should be the, the, the be all end all uh, proof of identity uh, to begin with. You know, if, if, we're gonna, if we're gonna have something like that and we wanna you know, you know, freeze it in time, well, we can fix that. Uh, but that's not what this is about. This isn't about real solutions. This is about scoring political points uh, on the backs of Oklahomans. Uh, that, that really don't need uh, yet another instance of politicians using them to try to get elected. Eva? Well, I think what we saw, the governor signing a bill on Tuesday that basically just says that the birth certificate, as it has always been, is going to continue to be, and that is that it's going to say whether a person is male or female. So, um, and the dispute and the legal, uh, the legal, potential course that some of these folks want to take to challenge that certainly is an option. But I think by and large, as we talked about before on this program, this is something that has not been an issue, not been something uh, high profile in the state of Oklahoma. I think we've seen it in other places around the country. But in this instance, I think what we saw is lawmakers responding to what folks back home agreed with in terms of their actions and the course that they took with this legislation. An Oklahoma candidate for Congress calls for Dr. Anthony Fauci to be executed by firing squad. At a campaign event, state GOP chairman John Bennett said Fauci should be tried and put in front of a firing squad. Neva, at what point does this sort of rhetoric become dangerous? Well, I mean, it, it's certainly rhetoric that I think um, most folks in the political arena uh, have pause on, but it's something in this in this uh, in this season in Oklahoma politics. What we what we have seen is this type of speech by John Bennett 
it's been given actually for weeks and months. I mean, the very same speech, almost uh, verbatim. So the fact that it was picked up nationally, the fact that uh, many of the, the political uh, news outlets and publications uh, seized on it earlier this week, I think ju just is a reflection of uh, the, the fact that we are now inside eight weeks of a, of, a, of a political primary that's very crowded in the second congressional district. People are starting to pay attention uh, and this group, the Right Wing Watch, uh, put this uh, put this particular snippet of a part of uh, John Bennett's speech on their uh, social media feed this week, and it went viral. So, but again, it's something uh, something he's been saying. He throws it out there. A lot of the red meat issues that uh, that uh, uh, he believes play well with his uh, constituency. And, you know, then he quickly qualifies it, uh, even with the with the statement about uh, Fauci, he goes on to say that he's not advocating to, quote, kill uh, Anthony Fauci, I think, as he said it, but he wants uh, uh, he wants him convicted of his crimes through a court. So um, we're going to see this rhetoric continue through the course of the campaign. Voters are going to have a lot of a lot of choices in this primary uh, in the second congressional district. We'll we'll have to see. Uh, in the instance of Chairman Bennett, he's been a lightning rod uh, uh, in the Republican Party since he took over as as the state chair in uh, April of last year. So uh, there is an expectation he's going to step down. Uh, there has been a meeting called. I believe for May 28th, uh, where there may in fact be um, a selection of a new chair. He's not officially resigned yet, but indicated to party leaders that he intends to resign at some point. So a lot of, lot of questions still on timing on that. But again, the, this grabs a big headline, uh, gives a lot of people um, that haven't paid any attention to the race a reason to kind of say, who is this and, and uh, why, why is this uh, being said? But it is it is really more of the same of the type of rhetoric that we've seen out of John Bennett now for quite some time. Ryan, you know, I I, I don't fully appreciate uh, the the uh, the type of insecurity uh, that a person must have about themselves uh, to have to just constantly live in this fantasy world where political violence is something that should be lifted up in a campaign speech. Um, and I, you know, I know that in his, in his mind, uh, I, I don't know that, that he really thinks that any of this ever comes to fruition. I don't know that he really goes to bed at night thinking, boy, if I'm ever in Congress, I can help move forward with some sort of indictment against Anthony Fauci and putting him in front of a firing squad. But when you really think about what political violence looks like, go talk to the folks in Ukraine right now uh, about what political violence looks like. You know, John Bennett himself, uh, so served in multiple tours in countries uh, whenever he was in the military in countries where political violence was the norm. Um, and I don't think any of us want to live in Iraq or Afghanistan or to live under the thumb of a guy named uh, like Vladimir Putin. Uh, but that's the kind of rhetoric uh, that that put um, uh, organizations like terrorist organizations and and. Uh, uh, Iraq and, and in Afghanistan in power. Uh, it's the kind of rhetoric that allows somebody like Vladimir Putin to stay in power. Um, you know, I, I just, I really think that if, if you are um, a candidate that is, you know, um, you know, apple pie uh, and American uh, and baseball and, and American flags, that 
you know, uh, uh, political violence is, you know, the exact opposite of what America is about. Um, you know, it is it is something of a uh, an incredibly last resort. It was uh, political violence was at our, our founding, uh, but it shouldn't be part of the of, of our discourse, even whenever you qualify it with, well, we'll kill him only after he's uh, had due process, because one, I don't know that I entirely believe what uh, John Bennett's idea of due process is. And, and two, you know, the fact that you got to qualify, it reminds me that, you know, I'm always telling jokes uh, that I'm having to explain. And then, you know, the, if you're explaining your joke, it's not funny. Uh, if you've got to explain your political rhetoric about, uh, about violence, maybe don't say it at a campaign rally. I, I really hope that this second congressional district uh, primary doesn't devolve into a, uh, a contest if you can uh, race to the bottom in, in terms of rhetoric like this and uh, hope that whenever John Bennett doesn't make it into a runoff, I think it's incredibly unlikely that he's one of the folks that makes it into a runoff, uh, that maybe what we'll see is John Bennett and some of this rhetoric fade into the, uh, the background. The state election board is ordering a candidate for labor commissioner to remove his nickname from the ballot. State Representative Sean Roberts had added the Patriot to his name during filing, which sparked a challenge from current Commissioner Leslie Osborne. She had asked for Roberts to be removed completely, but the board just told him to remove the moniker. Neva, do you agree with the board's decision? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think clearly uh, if, if the threshold is that you have to be generally <laughs> known by that nickname, I mean, they certainly didn't persuade the three person board who made this unanimous vote uh, that that was the case. And I think that uh, uh, that the uh, attorney for uh, for Labor Commissioner Osborne, basically, who was Mike Hunter, basically mm -hmm. said, look, this is a, a nickname. It's not a nickname. It's a campaign slogan. And even though there have been instances uh, where we have had folks who have been on the ballot, have appeared with their nicknames, it was clearly a case where they were known by their nicknames. And, and I thought it was fascinating when the question came up about uh, when he was asked how many people uh, called him the Patriot, uh, Sean Roberts said it was anywhere between two and 600 people. I'm not sure that constitutes in anybody's uh, mind uh, a generally known nickname by folks that uh, would be in in the uh, in the statewide race that he is uh, that he's going to be on the ballot for. Bottom line, he's still on the ballot. He'll be on the ballot by his name, not with his nickname included. And end of story. And that's why we have this process where after people file for office, there is a time frame where people can review the candidates that are running and, and see if they uh, meet the scrutiny of the law and, and, and are uh, eligible to be on the ballot. And if not, a person has an opportunity to challenge that person. And that's what we saw in several instances, including this one uh, with uh, having the nickname, the Patriot removed from the ballot. Ryan. Well, Aniva just mentioned a name we haven't talked about in a very long time, Mike Hunter. Mike Hunter, <laughs> uh, back in the public eye, practicing law, representing uh, Commissioner Leslie Osborne uh, in a two-hour hearing. Uh, you know, and just, I, I think that, you know, that, that's notable in and of itself. We've had two former attorney generals now uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, that have resurfaced uh, and put themselves back on the political landscape in Oklahoma. Scott Pruitt, of course, running for United States Senate. Mike Hunter now, uh, you know, showing up over at the Jim Thorpe Building and uh, uh, in the Capitol complex, representing Commissioner Osborne. So that's notable in and of itself. But if you are walking into that hearing 
if if you're uh, if you're Sean Roberts walking into that that hearing um, and your evidence that you're known as the Patriot is is based on a uh, a year's old birthday card where somebody called said you are the true Patriot. Um, you know that's that's not a lot. Uh, and saying that maybe two people know you that uh, know you as that is is not a lot. Um, I frankly, if 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 I were him, I would have just um, said I want to stay on the ballot. I'll take that. I'll take that name off there. Uh, but it it did seem uh, just you know kind of bordering on uh, ridiculous to try to prove uh, that that's what you're known by. And you know everybody from Virginia Blue Jeans Jenner to to Blake Cowboy Stevens, uh, Senator Blake Cowboy Stevens, those folks legitimately are uh, known by their names and uh, in, in their areas. Um, they at one point. Uh, uh, the lawyer representing Roberts asked uh, Chris Candidate, who was there uh, testifying on behalf, uh, called by uh, my country to testify for Leslie Osborne, that nobody in the legislature knows him as the as Sean the Patriot Roberts. Um, you know, tried to you know, get uh, Chris Candidate crossways. Now he's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in, in the House, and I uh, said, "Well, does anybody know you as Christopher?" Uh, well, his mom did. Well. So what? Uh, you know, everything else is Chris. So you know the idea that he's just Chris and not Christopher on the ballot doesn't prove anything. Um, it's I, I think that this is you know one of one of the more you know silly uh, issues that's come uh, come before the um, uh, election board on a on a uh, candidacy contest. And but it's nevertheless serious. I think that my country was was appropriate in saying that you know if we let people just you know, put whatever they want on this ballot without it uh, um, conforming to this generally known standard. I mean, it could be Ryan tax cut Kiesel, uh, you know, for the next, uh, you know, what, any, anything you want. Um, and that's just, we, we need to know that the folks that are on the ballot, their names match who they are. Uh, and you're not using, if you want to go campaign, go campaign. The ballot's not the place to, to run your campaign. And I think it's important to note this, this is a case where we have a term limited legislator. He's, he's been on the ballot six times. I mean, he's been in office 12 years in the legislature. He's never previously appeared on the ballot uh, with a nickname associated. And now he's running for statewide office. He started out in a congressional race and then moved over uh, and actually filed in this statewide secondary race. So uh, again, I think uh, the process the process worked. Uh, everyone had an opportunity to make their case, and as you say, Ryan, two hours uh, <laughs> with uh, everyone bringing in their bringing in their witnesses and and trying to uh, 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 trying to uh, battle this along the lines of uh, uh, best best information, best uh, arguments, so that ultimately the three person election board, state election board, can make their decision. Well, and let's let's just give a, a quick shout out to that three person election board. Uh, they were there all day late into the night doing that. This is certainly not the only thing that the election board does, but Secretary Paul Zirax and 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 company that that you know led this uh, marathon of hearings that day. Congratulations to them on doing that and coming to results that I think uh, everybody uh, appreciates and respects. Oklahoma is mourning the loss of former state senator and Seminole Chief Enoch Kelly Haney. He passed away on Saturday. Besides being a leader for the state and Seminole tribe, Haney was also an artist. And his work, The Guardian, stands atop the state capitol dome. Ryan, your thoughts on the passing of Haney? You know, I, I'll, I'll start by saying you know, what, what an incredible life he had. 
Um, I was uh, fortunate to be able to, to know him as, as a child growing up in Seminole. I was uh, very close friends with his uh, son and daughter um, in, in Seminole, but then you know, having the opportunity to you know, first page for him in the, in the state Senate whenever I was uh, 16 years old, uh, and then went on to work for him as his leadership staff uh, whenever he was chairman of appropriations uh, in the state Senate. And you know, what, a, what a privilege it was uh, to be able to learn from one of uh, Oklahoma's uh, you know, best public servants. I mean, he, he is, his entire life is a definition of, of public service. You know, he's, he told uh, Cheryl Lovelady, uh, his very close friend of mine and worked for Senator Haney for, for many, many years. Uh, he told Cheryl Lovelady once, he said, you know, I went to, I can remember going to school on the back of a wagon. Uh, and as an artist, I've flown across the Atlantic and the Concord. It's been a good life. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I've said that people will remember him uh, uh, probably most for The Guardian. I'm, I'm sitting in the Capitol parking lot right now taping this, and there's not a day that I go by that I, I don't look at that Guardian yeah. and remember being at the top of the dome with him whenever it was placed up there uh, and him just fearlessly going up a ladder uh, to be at the very pinnacle uh, of the, of the uh, Capitol uh, dome whenever it was lowered down. And I was pretty reticent to go up that ladder, but I wasn't going to miss an opportunity in history like that. But I was, you know, uh, I was nervous. He just, he just scaled it like nothing. Um, but you know, whenever uh, I see that, I see that dome out uh, and, and the guardian, I'll remember him, but I also remember as chairman of appropriations, um, you know, he fought for, you know, rural fire departments, small towns. Um, you know, he would often say on the, the Senate floor that his dad told him, uh, uh, Enoch, when you do good, do good for all the people. Um, you know, it's not, it's not just for one person or one interest group, but do good for all the people. And I really think that that was his, his driving political and public service philosophy throughout his life. And it certainly shows. I will uh, forever be indebted to everything that he did for, for me and, and my family and, uh, and especially for the state of Oklahoma. Neva. Well, while I never had the opportunity to know um, uh, Senator Haney, as you did, Ryan, and, and others, uh, I certainly followed his career 20 through, 22 years in the, the legislature, both in the House and the Senate, becoming uh, chairman of the powerful um, uh, Appropriations and Budget Committee, someone who was respected, I think, uh, legitimately on both sides of the aisle during his tenure in the legislature. Um, and he had a remarkable life because, as you say, he did so many things. Not only was he a renowned, worldwide renowned artist uh, and someone whose legacy, I mean, in the art world will live forever, but uh, he was a Methodist minister. He was a, a family man, father of seven. Um, and I think, uh, as, as I've heard many people comment on his passing in the last few days, he was someone who was a true role model that impacted the lives of many uh, in ways uh, large and small. So I think it is uh, always appropriate uh, as we see these uh, leaders pass to, uh, to recognize not only the life they lived and their legacy, but uh, to, uh, to just pause and, and remember uh, that it takes so many folks like uh, Kelly Haney and others uh, who have worked hard through their lifetime to make Oklahoma a better place for all of us. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. The programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.